Hi, welcome back. This is Kim Dixon, and this is Weber County's Greatest Generation, where we tell the amazing stories of our troops in World War II. Today, we're going to discuss some of the things that were going on in the Philippines in those early months, just after the war started. So just to give you a little bit of history, in December of 1941, the Philippines had been a possession of the United States for four decades. But we had paid little attention until the relationship with Japan had started to deteriorate. Manila is only 1,800 miles from Tokyo, and it became evident that it could be a strategic threat if war started. So in the summer of 1941, before Pearl Harbor, the Army recalled General Douglas MacArthur, who had retired in the Philippines in 1937, back into active duty to prepare the islands for war. Both the Army and the Navy had sent troops there, and now we have several Weber County boys who are serving in the Philippines. And on December 8th, when the Philippines was attacked, the families started their long wait for information along with those families that had sons in Pearl Harbor. And in fact, our second death after Ensign Howard Merrill occurred in the Philippines with Quartermaster 3rd Class William Robert Dean. His mother got information really kind of early compared to the others, and I'm not sure how that worked with all the confusion going on in the Philippines. Mrs. Helen Dean at 3241 Porter was notified by telegram that her son was missing. The telegram asked her not to reveal his station or ship to anyone. On March 10th, the newspaper reported that Rear Admiral Randall Jacobs, chief of the Bureau of Navigation in Washington, D.C., wired Mrs. Helen Dean that her son, William Robert Dean, 23, previously listed as missing in action, cannot be found, and has officially been declared to have lost his life in service of his country. I'm not sure that Mrs. Dean even knew her son was in the Philippines because the only information the government gave her that he was serving in the Pacific. So I had a lot of trouble finding any information on Quartermaster Dean until I came across a website called honorstates.org, and it said, Dean experienced a serious casualty, which ultimately resulted in loss of life. Circumstances of the casualty was attributed to missing or lost in action, and his official date of death is January 19th, even though his mother thought he died on the 22nd. Quartermaster Dean isn't listed on the military's official list of Weber County deaths in World War II, but his mother did place a headstone in the Ogden City Cemetery, and he is also memorialized on the Place of Remembrance, the World War II monument in the cemetery. For other families in Weber County with sons serving, it would take a long time to hear any news. And in some cases, they won't know until after the war is over. For the next three months, the combined U.S.-Filipino forces held out in a desperate fight with Japan, waiting for reinforcements of men and food. Trying to hold out for as long as he could, General MacArthur moved all of his troops about 78 miles northwest to the Bataan Peninsula. The United States and Filipino forces continued to put up a tremendous fight with the Japanese. But really, it was just a matter of time because of the lack of supplies, food, ammunition, and everything else they needed to wage the war. In March of 1942, President Roosevelt ordered MacArthur to leave the Philippines and go to Australia. MacArthur did not want to go and refused. Finally, 
President Roosevelt gave him a direct order. And on March 12th, General MacArthur, with his family and some key aides, left the islands for Australia, leaving with the famous comment, I shall return. MacArthur left General Edward King and General Jonathan Wainwright in charge of the troops when he left. General Wainwright took his troops south 18 miles to the island of Corregidor, while General King tried to maintain the Bataan Peninsula. On April 9th of 1942, having been reduced by hunger, disease, and casualties, and at the point of helplessness, General King surrendered the troops remaining on the peninsula. General Wainwright was able to hold out another four weeks, but on May 6, 1942, he surrendered his forces at Corregidor. This marked the official fall of the Philippines and would begin what would come to be known as the Bataan Death March. Over 75,000 Americans and Filipino soldiers were forced to march 65 miles north to the city of San Fernando in intense heat with harsh treatment by Japanese guards. The Japanese had badly underestimated how many troops there would be. In order to move them so they could keep control, they were divided into groups of 100, and the march usually took about five days to complete. It is estimated that only 54,000 reached San Fernando. The exact number is unknown, but thousands of troops died because of the brutal treatment they received. The guards starved and beat their prisoners and bayoneted those who were too weak to move. Those that reached San Fernando were loaded onto rail cars and taken to prisoner of war camps located throughout the Philippines. During the next four years, thousands would die of mistreatment, disease, and starvation. Back in Ogden on April 9th, the newspaper headlines reported, Japs overcome defenses on Bataan. Bataan force paid tribute. If this means the end of the gallant defense by the men who have been fighting our battle from the foxholes on Bataan, and latest reports indicate they are being driven back into harbor fortifications, we can say pridefully that our boys have done a grand job in the face of overwhelming odds. This amazing feat by the tiny army of American and Filipinos have played an important part in delaying the Jap offensive in the Southwest Pacific. Indeed, when the final day of reckoning comes, it may be found that this operation vitally influenced the outcome of the war with Japan. So salute to a great bunch of fighters. And on May 6th, another article headline, Corregidor Fortress Falls to Japs. The article goes on, the last message received from General Wainwright before the fall reported that casualties were heavy during the last few days. So several families are left to worry and wonder about their sons and husbands. For the Darrell Clark family, that changed in August of 1942. So this is just another one of those crazy stories because Mrs. Clark will see her son on the pages of Life magazine with pictures from the prisoners in the Philippines. The article reads, Daryl Clark is Japanese prisoner. A newspaper clipping and a magazine photograph played a big part in causing Mr. and Mrs. Fred Clark of Ogden to relax after many months of nervousness. Their son Daryl, one-time famous all-around athlete at Ogden High School, was at Corregidor when the Japanese took possession some months ago. And since that time, nary a word has been heard from him. But just a few days ago, a photograph released by the Japanese appeared in the Standard Examiner 
And last week, Life magazine carried the same picture. And in the very front row, with his arms in the air, stood Captain Darrell Clark of the USA. It was the swellest piece of news I have ever heard, said Mrs. Clark. In all of the months that have passed since December 7th, not a single word has been heard from Darrell. The newspaper clipping was first called to our attention by an Army sergeant in Texas. He had served in the Army for many years with Darrell. I hope he is getting decent treatment. I'm able to relax now, and it is a grand and glorious feeling. The article goes on to say, Back in 1922, Daryl Clark was an all-state footballer at Ogden High. He was a halfback of unusual ability, a great open-field runner, and a splendid kicker. Clark was an all-around athlete. In the summer of 1922, he starred on the mound and in the outfield for the Ogden Club of the Northern Utah League. Some years ago, this corner named all-time Ogden High grid team and Daryl Clark was placed in one of the backfield posts. Twenty years later, if another team were to be named now, Daryl Clark would still receive this recognition. The article ended with, Fate has provided a way for Mr. and Mrs. Clark to learn the whereabouts of their fine son. It isn't any wonder that they have eliminated a bad case of jitters. The entire story reads like a Horatio Alger story, yet it's true. Another article was on December 30th, 1942. On Christmas Day, after more than a year of waiting for some kind of word, Mr. and Mrs. Clark received a written note from the War Department stating that Captain Darrell Clark is a prisoner of war in the Philippines. It is the swellest Christmas present I ever had, said Mrs. Clark today. It is good to know that we now can correspond with him through the American Red Cross. But that bubble was burst on June 17th when the parents received notification of his death. The telegram from the War Department was brief, said Dad Clark today. It merely stated that our son had died in a Japanese prison camp on June 11th. Actually, the date printed was wrong. He had died January 11th, just a few days after the Clarks had received the information in December. A memorial service was held for Lieutenant Clark, conducted by Dr. John Edward Carver, pastor of the First Presbyterian Church. Chaplain Carl A. Tubesing of Hillfield represented the military and told of the athletic capers of Lieutenant Clark in 1920 when he was star of the Ogden High School football team. He related his ability in track, field, baseball, basketball, and other branches of athletics. The Hillfield chaplain also told of Lieutenant Clark's coaching of the Army team in baseball in Manila and of the high esteem in which he was held by General Douglas MacArthur. Lieutenant Clark enlisted in World War I when he was just 17, and this was really interesting because when he was released, after three years, he came home and played high school football for Ogden High School, which was kind of weird. He served two hitches at Manila and was to have returned to the States in October of 1941, but quote-unquote war clouds prevented this. There were upwards of 150 people that attended his funeral, and it states he is survived by his parents and his wife who resides in Texas, but I couldn't find any information concerning his wife. In November of 1945, after the end of World War II, the Clarks received a personal letter from General Douglas MacArthur. It read, My deepest sympathy goes to you in the death of your husband and son, First Lieutenant Darrell Clark, while a prisoner of war for the enemy. 
you may have some consolation in the memory that he, along with his comrades in arms who died on Bataan and Corregidor and in prison camps, gave their lives for this country. It was largely their magnificent courage and sacrifice which stopped the enemy in the Philippines and gave us the time to arm ourselves for our return to the Philippines and for the final defeat of Japan. Their names will be enshrined in our country's glory forever. In your husband and son's death, I have lost a gallant comrade and mourn with you very faithfully, General Douglas MacArthur. So that gives us two Weber County boys with close ties to General MacArthur. I'm not sure of how many Americans returned after the war, but the stories of those prisoners of war camps are just horrifying. There are also stories of courage and heroes. And those will be coming up. We have more boys who are on the Baton Death March, and their stories will be in the future. Thanks for listening. Remember that the podcast is available on iTunes and on my Facebook page, Weber County's Greatest Generation, where you can ask questions or leave comments. Thanks.